doggy. What's going on, guys? Hardest part of the ring here again. Money in the bank has just concluded, and man, what a show. A, a memorable show. Good, bad, indifferent. Actually, no, there's no indifferent because it's either good or bad. This show was very memorable. And in my opinion, it was definitely, it was a solid, solid show. Nothing, you know, I'm not going to say there's no match of the years on here. Well, maybe there is. We'll get into that later. But by and large, this show was, um, I was satisfied with this show. I got my uh, money's worth. But yeah, it was a short pay-per-view too, which is bizarre. Like, they, they they announced that the Money in the Bank match was happening. It was like, it was like fucking 9.30 Eastern or whatever. I was like, shit, man. I think after, I think including the pre-show, this whole entire pay-per-view was like just a little over three hours, which is what it used to be, right? Like back in the day, it used to be about three, three and a half hours of pay-per-view. And uh, I got to say, I um, I think that's a good length. Makes the show easily digestible. Um, you don't feel fatigued. You don't feel like you're like doing a chore watching the show. Like if, if the show flowed pretty well and um, it didn't overstay its welcome, which I am glad for. It, at the same time, it didn't seem like matches were rushed or anything. It just happened to be not a lot of matches, I guess. And that could be for a few reasons, right? One reason that I suspect this show was pretty short is because of the Undertaker documentary that was after it. Um, even though I think it was available on the network like all during the day, right? So it didn't exactly like premiere after the show. But at the same time, it's like, I guess maybe they didn't really feel compelled to draw out the show any longer if they just have a Undertaker doc that everybody's going to fucking watch after it. So, which I, by the way, have not watched yet, but I very much look forward to uh, taking a peek at that. So I'll probably do that as soon as I get done recording this but um so yeah that could have been a reason why it was so short or i mean like i said just not a lot of matches um not a lot of bodies around to uh build up to matches on the weekly shows i mean you have so many people that are uh staying home for now uh, a lot of big names like kevin owens roman reigns uh you know whether it's injuries or just not wanting to come to work um the intercontinental champion Sami Zayn, like people like so many people. Becky Lynch is off filming a TV show. They don't have like a lot of assets around, so they're only going to have so many different uh, matchups they can build to. So maybe that's an, that's a big reason why this show felt so short. But nonetheless, I enjoyed it overall. If you want me to just have a sweeping um, opinion of the show, I enjoyed it. Um, it's not a show I'd necessarily go back and rewatch, maybe other than the main event but we will get into that very shortly um so just want to get up here quick give my quick review of the show um because it is one that i believe deserves a review just because of the craziness and the the strange times that we live in everybody it's uh it's quite fun but let's let's just get into it so opening match so actually a pre-show match now i don't always watch the pre-show but this is a match that i was very interested in seeing we have Jeff Hardy versus Cesaro. Um, Jeff Hardy, one of my all-time favorites. You know, growing up as a kid, he was probably my absolute favorite. Um, love Jeff Hardy. I think it's incredible that in the style that he took early on in his career, it's incredible that he is still coming out there, performing at a high level 
honestly, I mean, it's amazing that he's walking at all, given the stuff that he's put his body through. But love Jeff Hardy, and I love how he's kind of evolved his style. Um, he's not a high flyer anymore. He's more of a crafty veteran. He's a brawler. Um, he'll whip out high flying moves when he needs to, but he's very strategic in how he does it. And I love, I don't think Jeff Hardy gets the credit that he deserves for how, um, great a storyteller and how, um, how nuanced he is with his character and how he, he structures matches. But at the same time, you know, it's pretty hard to have a bad match with Cesaro, right? So I guess the story, a little confused with the story here because, right, they've been building a Jeff Hardy and Sheamus on SmackDown. And I guess they had a little altercation on SmackDown last week. Uh, maybe they want to let that rival rivalry breathe a little bit before they had that confrontation. I guess Cesaro and Sheamus are still friends. So there's a little, not a tune up match for Jeff Hardy, but kind of a, uh, I guess a step in that direction to facing Sheamus ultimately. But as far as the match itself, it was definitely a very solid match. Um, Cesaro, you know, he's Cesaro, man. I don't need to tell you guys how good he is. Uh, works great as a heel. Works great as a babyface, and in this match, he he did what he had to do to uh, basically set the pace against Jeff Hardy, try to neutralize his offense. Um, but ultimately, Jeff Hardy ends up getting a win with uh, he like does like a little walk across the rail onto Cesaro on the outside, rolls him in, Swanton. Kind of an abrupt ending, but um, the match itself I enjoyed. Really enjoyed that match. Um, I worry. I don't know, man. I when when it comes to Cesaro. I'm back and forth on him, right? As, on one hand, it's like this dude has all the tools to be a star, but at the same time, it's like he doesn't seem—he doesn't strike me as somebody that's hungry. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is. I—I don't want to—I don't want to say he's phoning it in, but um, I don't get urgency from Cesaro. Maybe that's just his style. Maybe it's not just—maybe it's just not translated to me. But to me, Cesaro, I think is pretty much as high on the card as he's going to get, um, which is kind of sad because he had a lot of momentum early on in his WWE run. I, I still have hopes for him at least getting a world title match, at least one world title match in his fucking career. But we'll see with Cesaro, but I, I think he's puppy. As far as the wrestling fan base goes, to me, Cesaro is probably one of the most overrated guys on the roster. I mean... It is what it is. That, that, that doesn't mean he's not good because he is. He's great. But I think people might overshoot his potential a little bit. He's a great athlete. He has a great look. But that doesn't mean he could be a top draw. Now, that being said, he hasn't necessarily gotten a chance to be a top draw. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'm back and forth on him. You can kind of see I'm kind of negating myself a little bit here. But nonetheless, I love Cesaro. But uh Let's calm down on the praise for him a little bit. I think this is pretty much his peak right now. After that, we have the SmackDown tag team titles on the line. We have the New Day, the champions, defending against the Forgotten Sons versus the Lucha House Party versus Miz and Morrison. Really good match here. Um, this, is a def- this is definitely a match that would have severely benefited from a crowd being there. Um like the, the match is great. The teams gelled very well. You know, you had a high flying team, you had charismatic teams, you had the the brawler team and, and the Forgotten Sons. You had a lot of interesting styles meshing together, and I think every everything meshed together very well. And um the match flowed great, it had a great ending. But man, this is one of those matches where it's very evident that there's nobody in the crowd, and the silence I think hurt this match very much. I still enjoyed it. 
But um, I think it would have taken, I think it would have added an extra star rating onto it had there been a, a crowd to react to the match. But great match nonetheless. Um, all the guys worked hard in there. I really like the Forgotten Sons. I don't think they're getting enough credit for uh, for how great of a team they are. Um, because I look in this match, you have eight guys, right? Or I guess nine if you count Jackson Riker. And I see a lot of potential. But I don't feel like the potential is being best utilized in a tag team environment. Meaning, I think John Morrison would do great as a singles right now. I think Miz has kind of fizzled out since he's been in a tag team. And I think Miz has a lot of potential to be elsewhere, to be contributing his his talent, you know, in a, in a singles feud of some sort, whether it's for a title or whatever, it's, whatever, whatever it is. Um, same thing, you know, Lucha House Party. Um, I think both these guys are talented. Grand Metalik and let's say Dorado. I guess you keep them in a tag team. Why not? But I feel like they're they're a bit underutilized as well. New Day. I mean, New Day, you know, it's funny. <laughs> People like to say that New Day is stale, but they're not, dude. You, you're just saying that because they've been a team for a long time. They're not stale. They're amazingly still entertaining every week. But I am <laughs> I I'm getting more antsy for a big E singles run every day now like every day that goes by that we don't get a big e singles run i just get a little bit more antsy i get a little bit more fucking hairs in my anus like i i love new day as a tag team but um at some point we gotta i mean if they enjoy tagging together which i'm sure they do maybe they don't want singles runs for each other you know outside of what kofi did in the past year maybe they're satisfied with where they are but who knows, but I would love to see Biggie get a singles run sometime soon. Um, I think they've kind of, they're, they're, they're ringing that, they're ringing that New Day towel of everything it's got in it. Um, I don't know how much it does though, but New Day is still entertaining, still tag champs and, uh, Forgotten Sons, like I said, I think have a lot of potential as a tag team together. Um, a solid heel tag team. I don't, you know what? That, that is one thing. Are the Forgotten Sons heels or babyfaces? That's the only thing. Because they started out as heels in NXT. And then after a while, you know, they kind of made a switch to babyface. They started harping on the fact that uh, two-thirds of them are former military. Trying to get that uh, military pop from the crowd. Just like they did with Lacey Evans. Um, and they're, they're still alluding to that. So it's like, are we supposed to boo you? Or are we supposed to cheer you? Because they're kind of acting like heels in the match, but they're also trying to be kind of baby faces like on the mic. It's it's a little confusing. I think as long as they have direction in a way they want to go and they stick to that direction, I think they will thrive very well as a tag team. And I think they have a great, great future. But yeah, the tag team title match is great. Probably other than the main event and maybe the WWE title match, I think is probably one of my favorite matches of the of the night. After that, you have MVP versus R-Truth. Why? Fuck, I don't know. Fuck them. Throw them out there. Um, so, at least that was the match that was advertised, right? So, you have MVP and R-Truth both come out. So, yeah, Bobby Lashley come out for whatever reason. Takes MVP's spot. I don't know if this is pre-planned. I don't know if maybe MVP is going to manage Bobby Lashley. I don't know if they just had no plans for this and just are kind of flying by the seat of their pants. I am inclined to go with that reason but nonetheless we have bobby lashley versus r-truth at this point now i guess past weeks bobby lashley's been very dominant 
Um, he dominated a, a gauntlet match I don't know, it was last week or the week before, and he pretty much just ran through our truth in this match. So I guess they're building Bobby Lashley up, maybe for uh, a potential contender for Drew McIntyre, um, or maybe they're just don't know what else to do with Bobby Lashley, so they're just doing this to buy time. But nonetheless, uh, it was kind of it was what it was, pretty much a squash match. Uh, R-Truth is endlessly entertaining. He made every second count in this match. I love R-Truth, and he was a perfect foil for Bobby Lashley. Um, but Bobby gets the win here, so we'll see what they end up doing with him in the weeks to come. After that, you have the SmackDown Women's Championship on the line. You have the champion, Bailey versus Tamina. Um, this match strikes me as, you know what? Tamina is the one woman we have on SmackDown that shouldn't be in a ladder match and shouldn't be running up a bunch of stairs. So, you know what? Let's just throw her in the title match against Bailey and have a normal match with her. I love Tamina, man. I feel like she had a lot of potential early on in her career, but it seems like she's very broken down at this point, man. She can barely move anymore. Um, that's just, that's just age, man. It catches up with you. Um, she just looks like my aunt fighting out there in jeans or whatever. Like I said, I'm sure she's a great lady, but like the, uh, we missed that. We, we missed the boat with Tamina, which is unfortunate. Um, that being said, I, pre- I enjoyed this match mainly because of Bailey. Bailey is fucking great, dude. Like she, she is one of the best at embracing the silence. She, like embraces how weird the situation is, but she kind of conforms to it and evolves her character to, you know, like yell at Michael Cole or like just keep talking and talking throughout the match to kind of get over how shitty of a character she is or like, like in a good way. Right. Just like how, how much of a douchebag she is. And, um, she does it all throughout the match. She's always working. She's always building that character. And I think her, and maybe Seth Rollins are the best at doing that. I don't think people are doing that enough. And I would say Bailey is probably a, the best women's character they have in the WWE right now. Just character-wise, nobody, I don't even think, comes close to her, in my opinion. I think everybody else is kind of just running through the motions. And, and then you have Bailey working her ass off, having a dominant title reign under the radar. Bailey is super underrated and... um. Yeah, I just loved her work in this match. And uh, Tamina did a great job as well. She she held her own, did what she had to do, uh, created the drama when drama needed to be created. But ultimately, Bailey pulls out the win here, retains her title. Now, obviously, they're kind of like planting seeds or at least alluding to a future kind of confrontation between Sasha and Bailey. Now, there's one of two possibilities here. Either one... They're going to swerve us and there's not going to be a feud between them two. And they're just kind of like play into the internet rumor sites that, oh, there's a, we have future plans for Sasha and Bailey at SummerSlam. They may, but they might just be kind of tongue in cheek alluding to it and uh, eventually swerving and not doing it at all. But I will say if they do go forward with Sasha and Bailey at a future pay-per-view or whatever, Sasha is absolutely fumbling this build-up dude she is so oh god she's so annoying with how on the nose she is like she she's there's no subtlety to her right you know you have little deals here where um i think it was on smackdown a few weeks ago sasha was having a match with lacey evans right 
And then Bailey like ended up like distracting the ref on accident and costing Sasha the match. Sasha's like, you stay out of my business or however she talks. And then, <laughs> but she's like, so like, it's like, it's like if you told, if you took somebody that had never watched wrestling before and told them like how to, how to communicate, like, like somebody that's net that hasn't wrestled before, someone that hasn't been through these feuds before. She's a very basic and very like brute force. Like, I don't know how to describe it, man. It's just so she, she tries too hard and uh, she's not natural. I think that's the main thing. Everything she does just doesn't seem organic or natural. And she seems like she's overacting at every second and she's getting booze for all the wrong reasons. Like, she just tries too hard, man. She's she's overacting. Yeah, she's not letting the viewer absorb it. She's just she's just screaming at him like, "Here, this is the this is the storyline pivot here. Here it is." She's screaming at the at the viewer, and um, I don't know. I personally just get annoyed with how little nuance she has and how she thinks she's like. They're like trying to do like a Gargano Champa thing. It seems to me like they're trying to like have that like really layered long-term storytelling but i think they're just doing a poor job at it at this point but whatever we'll see how it plays out but hopefully they do better in the future um what do we have after that we oh that's right bray wyatt versus braun Strowman. who <laughs> doggy now this story is one that i really enjoy it's kind of, it's, it's pretty simple I, i'm not gonna go out here and say like this is this super layered like oh where's it gonna go storyline i mean we all know it's gonna be end up being the fiend coming back and facing Braun. but i think the execution is great bray is fucking hilarious skipping out there in his sweater and his jeans he's so funny dude he makes every second count he really commits to his character and uh yeah Braun is like i said like i said earlier he's a perfect foil for this um, they obviously have the history, the Wyatt family history to build off of. It's an easy story, and I think the execution has been very good at this point. Really, pretty, pretty good match here. Even though part of me is just like, okay, you have this six nine or whatever, you have this six nine, three hundred fifty pound muscle bound freak who is your world champion, and he's getting his ass kicked by a fat guy in a sweater. You know what I mean? Like that, that there's like a there's like a part of me that's like, all right, come on. But you know what, man? This is a good match. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the match itself. I enjoyed the storytelling throughout. And um Braun ultimately gets the win here, retains his title. Braun puts on the the black sheep mask, makes Bray think that he's gonna join him again. Braun then takes the mask off, stomps on it, gives Bray a power slam, one, two, three. So Braun's kind of playing into the mind games and playing a little bit of mind games of his own to counteract Bray. So it's kind of a sense of, okay, people are learning how to, uh, how to counter this crazy character. And that is to play mind games on him just as he plays mind games on you. So good long-term uh, consistency there. Um, and like I said, we almost certainly have a fiend Braun Strowman match coming up, probably a backlash. So we have that to look forward to, and we'll see how the story unfolds there. Then after that, you have maybe the best match of the night. You have Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins for the WWE Championship. Uh, these two have always had great chemistry. Uh, they faced, it was either like last year or the year before. It felt like they were facing each other like every week on Raw. But they haven't faced each other in a while, and their characters are completely different. So I was all 
for this match. Seth, immediately, so at the beginning, Seth comes out to new entrance music, which is like basically a lazy version of Bailey's music. Um, I almost wish they would like switch them, but like, I don't know, man. I I feel like they'll build upon that song because right now it's kind of lazy, kind of boring. It fits his character, I guess, but it's like, come on, man. You can do better than that. Um, Seth, I mean, his character, <laughs> Seth Rollins is a fucking cornball, dude. Like, oh, I was talking about the overacting with Sasha earlier, and Seth is almost the exact same, dude. It's like... Yeah, he had a promo the other week on Raw where he was like sitting on a like a like a fucking what do you call it a throne or something. I don't know if he has a throne in his house or whatever the fuck, but he was sitting on a throne talking to the camera and he's like, "I am the Messiah and I am going to save you." And be like, this dude watches. It's so clear that this guy watches too much Game of Thrones because he's literally just trying to be like a king in game of thrones like oh i shout or whatever the fuck they say i don't know he's, he's just like just trying too hard to be like a oh i will save you he's trying to be he's trying to be like i don't know i guess maybe that's the character he's going for whatever but to me when i'm when i'm when i'm watching him and i'm watching him and i'm listening to him it's it's this when somebody overacts to me I, I, I watched that overacting and I am taken out of this immersion and now I'm watching it like, oh, this guy's acting in front of me. Now I'm watching a guy act. But when somebody does it well, like a like a Bray Wyatt or a Bailey or um whoever the fuck, Brock Lesnar, when somebody does it well, I can immerse myself in this crazy wrestling universe and just watch it as if I am watching a real person. But when Seth Rollins does it. I'm just like, oh god, this guy is fucking cringe, dude. He's he's like he's like he's getting me to hate him, I guess. But uh, but just not for the reason that he wants me to. Does that matter? Maybe it doesn't. But he's he's a cornball. Seth is a cornball. I just had to get that out there. But the match itself, it's a great match. Love the match. Um, I think this worked very well without a crowd. Even though it, it might it, it was it would have been better with a crowd there. But like I said, Seth, just like Bailey did, Seth is able to embrace the silence and he's able to push forward his character. He's a little better in the ring with his character than he is cutting promos. Um, I believe him. It's a, I, I can buy his character when he's in the ring. Um, and I think he does it very well in between the ropes. You know, he's talking shit to Drew McIntyre all during the match, even including up to the finish. You know, he's basically talking shit. And uh, he says he's going to meet his destiny. And he's saying all this like as he's about to curb stomp him. But then Drew counters the curb stomp into a headbutt. Ends up Claymore and Seth Rollins. Seth took a hilarious sell. It made me think like, oh shit, did he actually knock him out? Because he was kind of, um, what do you call it? Fencing? Isn't that what you call when you go stiff? Whatever it's called. He went like stiff. Like his neck was like straight up. As Drew McIntyre pinned him for the three counts. So it was a crazy sell. Really good stuff there. Um, great match overall. I love Drew McIntyre as champion. He looks like a champion. He feels like a champion. He sounds like a champion. He smells like a champion. Um, I hope he has that title for a very, very long time because that dude is money. And, you know, the ratings, people want to, you know, the ratings have been at an all time low the past few weeks on Raw. 
that is in no way Drew McIntyre's fault, man. That is empty arena. Nobody wants to watch this shit. That is not Drew McIntyre's fault. Drew McIntyre is a great champion, and he there is no one better right now for to carry that title. Um, but yeah, good match here. And after that, okay. Really, what we're all here to talk about. That money in the bank ladder match. Climb the corporate ladder. How many times have we had to hear that shit throughout the show? Good God. Um, but, man, where do I even begin? I guess at the entrances, right? So, that's funny. So, let's talk about these entrances for a second. You have the guys and the girls. They, they both, both groups start in a different area of the building, right? The guys start in the gym. The girls start in some lobby somewhere. The guys did it right. You know, they each come in one by one. And as each guy comes in, they're kind of like talking shit to the other guys. They're like alluding to past grudges they had. They had, you know, you had like Aleister Black come and I guess he gave uh, AJ Styles a black mask last week or whatever. And he goes like, hey, Mr. Styles, how is that head of yours? Or whatever he said. It was something like that. They're all like talking shit to each other. They're all like kind of embracing how weird this is. Like as they like one by one, like enter the gym. But then you have the women. Who are like, what the fuck are you doing? Like they keep they keep coming in, like I said, one by one, just like the guys. So like one girl will come in, whoever started. Lacey Evans, maybe, was she the first one? And then uh, Nia Jax comes in, like barely even acknowledges Lacey Evans, like kinda does her stupid like look to the left, look to the right thing she does. I don't know if she thinks that's intimidating or what. Then like fucking Shayna Baszler comes in, does her stupid pose. They all they all just come in do their stupid pose, and then just stand next to each other with their hands behind their back, like kind of just waiting for the match to start, as if they're not about to battle each other. Are you kidding me with this shit? Come on. That that little aspect of it annoyed me so much. You have the guys over here, like, talking shit, about to fight each other, getting ready, revving up, revving up for this battle, and you have the girls just skipping into the middle of the middle of the frame doing whatever their stupid hand gesture is and then moving back in line as if they're not going to fight these people that they're standing next to nonetheless oscar makes up for it when she enters from the second floor and dives onto everybody wiping everybody out oscar runs for the elevator hilarious so she gets into the elevator apparently it's the world's slowest elevator because she's in it for like three or four minutes at by the time she gets out, they cut back to the guys fighting in the gym. Uh, Corbin grabs like a 45-pound weight, chucks it at Daniel Bryan, smashes at the glass. I mean, this is probably the gym that Vince McMahon works out in, right? Dude's got to be pissed at that. Man, I would be so upset spaghetti if I walked into my gym for my 2 a.m. workout and it's just fucking glass all over the floor, but whatever. Uh, so the guys keep rolling. They're like, Ray's like jumping on the dip machine and then like... They're just, like, throwing each other on all the machines. Otis grabs a barbell that has, like, 400 pounds on it, puts it on top of AJ so AJ can't get up. Hilarious. But more importantly, what douchebag just left weights on the bar? Like, it was already, they already had the weights on there. Like, so some asshole went in there, did some fucking deadlifts, and just left his weights there. It's probably Vince. Fucking asshole. So all the guys start running to the elevator, with the exception of AJ and, uh, they run past the bathroom and then Ray stops as he sees Brother Love come out of a stall for literally no reason other than the fact that Bruce Pritchard just works there. So they're like, hey, Brucey, throw on this white jacket. Your brother love tonight. What? Fuck it. Do it. Go to the bathroom. 
So that was a thing. And then, um, so they're all fighting. They, they, they all like make it to the elevator. All the guys do. They're all just kind of brawling in front of the elevator and they keep taking turns hitting the button because the elevator's not coming. They're like, ah, come on, come on. And, um, so the elevator finally opens up. They all get in it. Like four of them get in it. So it's everybody except AJ and Ray. So they, they keep fighting in the elevator, which is hilarious. Just four guys fighting in one elevator. Elevator opens up, not on the roof, but like on a, some other floor or whatever. Um, I don't know if that's the highest floor an elevator goes to or what, but it basically opens up to a floor. And the walls on this floor have like ring ropes and turnbuckles. I I, I would assume like those were there before. Right, they just had those there because they have this like weird shit around this headquarters for because WWE, right? So they <laughs> literally have like a little cove in the wall that has like turnbuckles and ropes. So they're kind of fighting in it as if it's a ring. Daniel Bryan's doing yes kicks on Corbin. Otis is standing next to him doing the yes chant with him, and then uh, Bryan has none of it and just opens up on Otis as well, knocks him to the corner. Yes kicks. So Bryan's the only one standing. So Bryan heads for the roof as everybody should because that's the goal of the match. They cut back to the women. They're fighting like by a conference room of some sort. Uh, Naya and Shayna basically wipe everybody out. Then they stare each other down. And as they're staring each other down, Naya just fucking clobbers her, knocks Shayna to the ground. And then as Naya's like looking down at Shayna, Dana comes from the back and hits Naya with a steel chair, lays her out. And they're, they're in this conference room. And there's like a, a money in the bank briefcase hanging above the conference table, which is funny and awesome. I guess that gets the fucking people in the mindset of money in the bank. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a thing they always have or if they just put it there for the show. Um, but Dana grabs the briefcase and thinks she wins because she's stupid, I guess. I don't know. Um, then they had this really cringy cutaway with Stephanie McMahon, like obviously not there in person. It's, it's just felt so weird because you got to like mesh these two like different universes at one time. It was, uh, she's basically telling Dana that that's not the briefcase and that the briefcase that she wants is on the roof. And then Stephanie, she almost makes up for this cringe little cutaway that she recorded on her iPhone by uh, <laughs> saying that Naya's drooling on the ground and to make her clean that up or whatever, whatever she said, basically alluding to the fact that Naya is a fat slob. Um, so Dana, now knowing that she needs to go to the roof, because that hasn't been advertised enough, apparently, Dana runs out of the conference room and gets smashed, or before she gets a chance to run out of the conference room, Carmella takes like a poster of her, like of Carmella winning money in the bank a couple years ago. She takes a poster, smashes Dana over the head with it, does her stupid little catchphrase thing. She didn't have to do that. She ran out of the conference room. Lacey Evans hits her with a women's right. Again, she does her little, yeah, nasty or whatever she does. They all have to get their stupid fucking catchphrases and hand gestures in. It's so obnoxious. So Lacey knocks out Carmella. She, she runs to the roof. Back to the guys. So AJ's running around. I guess he bench pressed himself out of that barbell in the gym. AJ escapes death once again. He's looking for Ray because AJ, when he had that barbell on him, he was asking Ray to help him up. And then Ray said, fuck you, and then ran away. Um, so AJ's walking around the halls looking for Ray. He sees a poster of Ray Mysterio. He gets a little spooked. He keeps looking, keeps looking. And then he runs into an Undertaker poster. He's <laughs> like in a trance looking at it. He's obviously very traumatized from uh, getting buried alive uh, to death. 
Uh, so yeah, that traumatized him a little bit, I guess. But AJ keeps trucking along. Hey, he keeps looking for Ray. Keeps looking for Ray. Opens up a door. And <laughs> it's just a fucking room with a casket and a blue light. Don't know what they use that room for. I don't want to know. Um, so AJ sees it. He's obviously very spooked by it. Alistair Black comes up from behind, gives him a roundhouse kick to the face. AJ falls into the room. Alistair Black closes the door and then runs to the roof. Hilarious. Um, they then cut to Paul Heyman for whatever reason, eating he's eating at like a fully like catered table, like a full buffet table just by himself. I guess cuz he's fat. I don't know. But then all the guys and all the girls kind of congregate up there right in front of the table. Otis then calls, he sees all the food, he gets all revved up, he's, he hulks up and he calls for a food fight. Then a food fight ensues, kind of stupid but kind of goofy, whatever. Um the guys and the girls are kind of fighting each other with the food. Shayna starts choking out Ray because equality. Otis and Naya then smash him because they're fat. Naya then power bombs Carmella, probably gets her concussion. Then her and Otis kind of run to the roof. Um, big, big brouhaha there. Otis gets distracted by a cafeteria he walks by, however, which for some reason has four pies set out. I don't know if they just planned on letting them sit out overnight, but Otis finds them. Grabs one, about to eat it, and then John Laurinaitis rolls up in a scooter for whatever reason. Otis smashes him with a pie, leaves. That whole little deal was so hilariously unnecessary, but I loved it. This is literally like they they just had, they were like thinking about how to structure this match, and they're like, hmm, who do we have working in the building? Oh, we have Bruce Pritchard. Yeah, throw him here for a brother love skit. Uh, John Laurinaitis is here. Oh, uh, yeah, let's have him do a people power thing and, I don't know, have him get hit in the face with a pie. <laughs> it's just so funny how they, like, clearly just threw whoever they had in the building in the match. I guess, you know, I guess that plays into the fact that they're at the headquarters. So if you're at a headquarters, you would see the people working there. So I guess those are the people working there. So I guess that makes sense in a way. But uh, it's just funny. Funny and unnecessary. They then cut to a guy mopping a floor. Uh, all the women run by, but only Dana slips on the water because, I don't know, I guess she didn't get the memo to wear non-slip shoes, apparently. Girls keep fighting on their way to the top. They're all fighting on the stairs. I guess the elevators were taking too long. I don't know. They cut back to the guys again. AJ and Brian are fighting. They fight their way into Vince's office, which was amazing. Uh, Vince McMahon in jeans was probably the highlight of the show. So AJ and Brian fight into his office. Vince McMahon gets all pissed off, orders them to get out of there. Uh, AJ and Brian make sure to fix the chairs before they leave because they don't want to be rude. Even though AJ literally clocked Vince McMahon in the fucking face like a year ago and knocked him out. But I guess AJ now is all of a sudden petrified and intimidated of Vince McMahon. Amazing what a year or two will do, right? So they, they leave the office. Corbin comes back with a scepter. Where did he get it from? I don't know. But he attacks everybody, lays out Aleister Black, lays out Brian and AJ, and then he heads to the roof. They cut to the roof where now Naya, Lacey, and Oscar are fighting. Naya sets up a ladder in the middle of the ring. They're all brawling. They're all trying to climb the ladder. They kind of they're just kind of like all climbing the ladder, kind of just punching each other, and then all of a sudden, Oscar's the only one up there. And then Baron Corbin finally shows up, climbs the ladder. Now, at this point, wouldn't you just like both there's two briefcase hanging up on on the thing, right? There's a women's and a men's. Why wouldn't you two just both grab your respective briefcase and then move on with it? But no, for some reason, stupid Baron Corbin tries to stop Oscar, so Oscar defends herself and kicks him off the ladder. 
Asuka grabs a briefcase, kind of an erupt, weird ending for the women's side of it, but Asuka is Mrs. Money in the Bank. I am all for it, dude. Asuka, I said earlier, Bailey had the best character going right now, but I think Asuka makes a strong case for that as well. Uh, 2020 Asuka is one of my favorite things. She didn't speak, she didn't really speak much English, but somehow she's still the most charismatic performer on the roster. Love Asuka. Love that she won money in the bank. Good stuff there. But we still have the men's hanging up there. The men's briefcase hanging up there. So like I said, Baron Corbin's there, but he's down after getting attacked from Asuka. So Otis gets up there by himself. Sets, he starts climbing up the ladder, but it breaks because he's fat. They literally did this exact same deal on SmackDown. Don't know why they had to revisit it. Corbin stops him. So Corbin and Otis start brawling a little bit. <laughs> and then they had to get the, the worm spot. I'm laughing because in my notes here, I wrote Otis Worms Corbin, which is just a weird way that I phrased it there. Um, so, but <laughs> Otis hits the worm on Baron Corbin. Then uh, Alistair Black comes out. Hits the black mass on Otis out of nowhere. Uh, Ray's here. Hits the senton on Corbin. And then, so basically, you just have Aleister Black and Rey Mysterio in the ring. Just them two. So they both race up the ladder, trying to grab the briefcase. They're both fighting each other. Uh, then Corbin commits murder on Aleister Black and Rey Mysterio. So now, now you have the, the remaining four fighting in the ring. And then, um, <laughs> okay, so you see how nonchalantly I said that? That's basically how they treated this. There was no... Fucking Baron Corbin takes two grown men and throws them off a skyscraper to their death. And there's there's no soundtrack change. There's no pause in the action. There's no uh, shocked reaction from the other people up there. Nope. Just boop. Scoop. All right. Two people dead. Let's keep climbing. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird thing. Um, I think they could have made more of that spot, but... Whatever, so there's four people alive now, so those are the people fighting to get the briefcase at this point. Um, so you have Baron Corbin, AJ, Daniel Bryan, um, and Otis fighting for the briefcase. Daniel Bryan is laid out somewhere. I forget what happened to him. Corbin and AJ are fighting at the top of the ladder to see who gets the briefcase. They unhook the briefcase, so they both have it in their hands. Elias comes out of nowhere, probably took the elevator because he's smart. Hits Baron Corbin in the back with a guitar, smashes it. Corbin goes down. AJ has his hands on the briefcase, fumble rooskies it to Otis, who is standing right below him. Otis is your Mr. Money in the Bank. <laughs> oh my god. Look, say what you want, but people love Otis. And in this weird time that we're in with no people in the crowd, such a weird, it's a weird dynamic. You might as well just have fun with it, dude. And Otis is the most fun out of anybody on the roster right now. Did not, did not expect him to win this match. And I don't necessarily expect him to cash in successfully. I wouldn't doubt that some heel takes the briefcase from him at some point. Um, or maybe he even like cashes it in on the, on the tag titles or something. I don't know. But regardless... Otis is your men's money in the bank winner. Asuka is your women's money in the bank winner. I am satisfied with that. With that, I would have rather seen Aleister Black or somebody, but at the same time, someone like that, or AJ or Ray, someone like that can win the world title without money in the bank. But Otis, mm, not really at this point would it make sense, I don't think. But 
He stumbled upon a Money in the Bank contract. Now maybe he can stumble upon a world title match. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm very. If nothing else, I'm 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 finally invested in SmackDown. I haven't watched SmackDown in like three or four weeks, but this has got me interested, and I will actually probably tune in this week to watch it. So I guess that is what they served to do with this, and I think it was successful. But we will see how it all unfolds. 